0: This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalifa. Hey, what's going on? Hope you had a great week. Uh, I know it's Friday morning. Hopefully you have that coffee right next to you, ready to go, ready to tackle the day. Uh, I'm super excited to bring you this episode specifically because I know you're absolutely going to love it. I got a lot of value from it, so here we go. I sit down with Dr. Chris Stout, whose career includes business, government, and nonprofits. He's traveled the world, and by world I mean 100 countries, published 38 books, won a wide range of accolades. In fact, Purdue named a scholarship in his honor. He's founded a kindergarten in Tanzania, was interviewed on Oprah, CNBC, CNN, NPR. He's a licensed clinical psychologist and founding director of the Center for Global Initiatives, a top-rated healthcare nonprofit. He's even in the entrepreneurial space, both as an advisor and an angel investor, he is Dr. Cristau. What was your what was your knack to sort of get in this field? Like, what was the the passion behind it? The motivation?
1: <laughs> well, uh, thank you, George. It's it's good to be on it. it, it that's a great uh, great starter question. It, it it was a little bit um, like how I've gotten into a variety of other things, sort of um, inadvertently or accidentally. Um, I started off actually in um, undergrad as a math major. Um, I just was really kind of a proverbial math geek and really enjoyed that. And back in the day, this was uh, when dinosaurs walked the earth. So it was kind of pre-computer science. So you basically started off as a a math undergrad in the school of science and then uh, took programming classes and whatnot. So you had to take some liberal arts classes. I took a psychology class. I'd never taken uh, any in high school or anything and then just really fell in love with it. So, um, the uh, the nice thing was that the uh, psychology department was also in the School of Science, so a lot of the credits I'd already taken would transfer in, and then I just really kind of went to town with it. Um, psychology is so vast and diverse with so many different kinds of areas. I actually wound up, if memory serves, I think uh, with my undergrad degree, I had I had like 52 credits just in psychology. I think I took about every psychology class they had and I became a TA for abnormal psych, et cetera. And the whole abnormal psych kind of um, with some research projects we did uh, for summer work study too, kind of said, you know, I really want to go to graduate school I mean, is it to really do anything that the old joke with uh, what do you do with an undergrad degree in psychology while you apply to graduate school. So, mm-hmm. so that's exactly what I did and really wanted to get involved in a, Program that had um, a very clinical orientation. Uh, The one that I was uh, involved in was uh, specifically uh, connected to a hospital system. That hospital system was connected to residential treatment, outpatient, therapeutic day schools. So, long story short, um, that was kind of my my starter. And just because I was always a little, um, you know interested in a variety of other kinds of things. Um, simultaneously, once I was um, finished my degree and got licensed and got into practice, I had a small private practice where I worked with families and children, but then also uh, got involved in administrative things within the hospital and within the day schools and uh, always liked to teach. Um, so I had uh, would teach a class here and there adjunctively at uh, other graduate school programs and clinical psych. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, uh, got administratively involved uh, with um, in, in that hospital system, like I said, but then also with helping out with other startups. Um, the professional school uh, teaching kind of evolved into being involved with a couple of the medical schools in the Chicago area. I was on faculty in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences for a while at Northwestern's Feinberg um, uh, School of Medicine and then probably really spent my most time in um, at University of Illinois at Chicago and their college of medicine and department of psychiatry and Again, kind of being a little bit Mr. Magoo with this, um, th- during that time I had done some work with uh, uh, actually the Department of Emergency Medicine, which is a story for another day, but um, that led to a great relationship with a fellow named Tim Erickson, who is the um, residency director of that. He got tapped to become the first director of their Center for Global Health, which was an interest that I had as well. Right. And uh, that then was sort of got me more into the to the field and trajectory of public health and global health.
0: I kind of wanted to ask, like I know your your entrance into psychology, a lot of it is around mental health and I know a lot of the stuff you do on the side, you know, whether it's uh, endurance training or exercise or just living a fit life, I know that's super important to you, but for a lot of people kind of in entrepreneurship and business, the, the vision for mental health kind of always gets put on the side for, for mm-hmm. most of it. You know, it's yeah. not something you typically focus on. Mm-hmm. And, and coming from the Middle East, Chris, I think there's a, a weird negative connotation towards it. Like if you say... You know, I'm focusing on my mental health you you get these weird raised eyebrows like people just don't take that seriously right you know what was that like I guess for one, why is it so important to you and two, what would you say for people listening that that they could do even just kind of today as as a head start to start really thinking about their mental health and, and taking it seriously?
1: A great question, George. thank you um I guess maybe to start off to kind of unpack that because there's a lot of parts to to that question to the what I would think for hopefully a helpful answer. Um, I think, you know, stigma, it doesn't matter uh, kind of where anybody's from. I think there still is sort of a um, just levels of of degree, perhaps, of stigma with mental health issues. For some reason, there's always kind of like this classic blaming the victim. If someone, um, you know, uh, gets uh, pancreatic cancer, no one blames them that they got pancreatic cancer and they, you know, they treat them with typically great sympathy and empathy and how can I be of help? But if someone else says, um, you know, I feel like I can't get out of bed in the morning because I'm so depressed, and um, people maybe don't have a context to understand that, for example, someone might have greater empathy and sympathy towards someone to say, well, you just lost a loved one, you know, your parent just died, or, you know, there's been some kind of, you know, tragic event in your life, and then people have a context to understand that. But without that context, oftentimes people have a very difficult time having that same level of humane empathy back towards the person that might be suffering with with something that might be more psychologically or behaviorally based. Sometimes those kinds of problems also manifest in ways that upset people. Um, Sometimes people will self-medicate for anxiety and depression with uh, drugs or alcohol, Mm -hmm. and then people, it gets into a blaming the victim paradigm where people then say, well, you know, then You know, I'm mad at you because you, you know, uh, drink too much or because you use substances, you know, too often or, you know, you're a bad parent because you're doing that or a bad partner or what have you. So all of those things, I think, sort of add up to that. Um, it's it's sort of ironic to me, and I guess you know you're you're asking a psychologist this question, but um, yeah. most all of uh, the kinds of, of issues that people deal with um, again are a matter of degree when it comes to behavioral health. <clears throat> Pardon me, we all feel <clears throat> anxious at some point. There's that. There's no human being that I know of that's never experienced some degree of anxiety at some point in time in their life. Maybe it was before they got married, or maybe it was before a final, or you know, some big, big event or whatever. So people can understand what that feeling's like. I think people sometimes also have likely, you know, experienced a sad time or a, a down mood or the blues or varying mm-hmm. levels of depression based again upon, you know, certain kinds of circumstances in their lives. But we some, for some odd reason, tend to disconnect that even when it's with our friends or our loved ones who are doing that um, in a situation that we don't think justifies Feeling anxious or depressed. So, um, having having said that, I think for ourselves, um, you know, some people just are are naturally anxious. Some people are naturally uh, pessimistic. Some people are naturally optimistic. Some people are naturally happy and upbeat. So, when we're different from whatever it is that we might be, and that difference is something that feels uncomfortable or alien in a negative kind of way for us. That perhaps is the first thing, regardless of stigma or regardless of whatever else you know, we might think or believe about uh, mental health kinds of issues, um, becomes an opportunity to to you know to say, whoa, you know this is this is happening to me. What can I do about that? There's a variety of things. I mean, there's you know, and, and advice is kind of difficult to give because you know one size fits few. But but basically, <clears throat> depending upon what the person's problem is, there can be a you know just sometimes creating a change in your life. Um, of, uh, you know, self-care, of tweaking your diet, of maybe getting more exercise or better quality sleep or uh, going back to a, a favorite hobby that maybe someone has stopped doing because they've gotten so busy with their startup or because job their job has become so demanding that oftentimes those are the, the, the self-care kinds of things, the things that we might misinterpret as trivial or <clears throat> An important go by the wayside. Sometimes family becomes that way too. People, you know, say, "Well, the most important thing to my life in my life is my children, or my partner, my spouse, my family, etc., my parents." And when people get busy, it's oftentimes ironically those are the the first things that kind of you know are left left on their own to take, take care of themselves. So uh, oftentimes it's it's recognizing that there is some difference that's unwanted. Thinking about what's different today than at a time when things I, I wasn't feeling this way and then taking some uh, proactive action uh, to get back to those areas and times and places where um, things were a better time and to see if that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that does the trick. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, sometimes trying something new and different can be helpful. Sometimes people find meditation helpful if they've never meditated before. Sometimes bringing more exercise into their life can be helpful if they've been more you know uh, sedentary, uh, et cetera. And sometimes uh, going and seeing an, a healthcare professional, in particular, my bias would be a psychologist to get counsel on, <clears throat> pardon me, what can, what can I do different? Uh, what, you know, what, you know, getting an assessment done and then getting a very proactive uh, approach to dealing with whatever the problems are. And oftentimes those problem-solving kinds of approaches can scale uh, to different bigger problems in the future, which will inevitably happen to all of us, and can be very helpful in terms of getting through whatever, you know, that difficulty or that bump in the road is um, at that point in time, but being able to have better tools <clears throat> pardon me i 've got a bad voice today uh having better tools uh, in our toolkit that we can you know use and in, in other times to be able to uh make life better for ourselves and those that we care about
0: yeah <clears> hundred percent <throat> i mean wh- wh- I think what I love most about your answer and, and it's not sort of the traditional one is like you know typically you you'll you'll ask this and uh, an answer may be around kind of medication, right? I mean, hopefully not, but unless mm-hmm. it's, it's really warranted. But what I love about your answer is it's really about, you know, picking a hobby, making sure you're exercising, watching what you eat, you know, getting enough sleep. And I think I've seen this even within myself. And I think everybody obviously goes through a funk, right? I mean, I've definitely felt days where I, I, I think I did feel, you know, depressed for different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. It might be working on something that doesn't give me energy. It might be, you know, realizing that I'm not exercising to the point where I should be. Um, and it's kind of draining me. And I think just kind of realizing those points in life is, is super important. Uh, yeah. Another one recently that I kind of wanted to ask you about, because I've, I've, I've been seeing it surfaced a bit more, is, is meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you personally meditate, but, but I've, I've been seeing meditation as a linkage to, to more positive mental health a bit more uh, recently and kind of wanted to get your take on it.
1: Yeah, I... Um... <clears throat> I have attempted, um, with meditation in a, a variety of different kinds of ways. I will periodically when I'm really kind of, you know, at a high stress point, um, the kinds of things that I'll do, I've used the, uh, I've got probably five, uh, meditation apps on my phone. Um, but the one that I use the most, um, Uh, And it's and that's still sadly episodic. I mean, I I really do want to try and embed that as more of a routine thing rather than a, you know, break glass in case of emergency kind of thing, which is how I use it now Um, is calm. I really like calm. I like uh, the person's voice in it. I like um, the ability to for some reason for me just the the audio stuff is really nice and I really enjoy the one of like raindrops on leaves in the forest for some reason I've listened like I... to storms like, yeah you know what I mean yeah. I've listened to waves you know all these other things but for some reason and maybe it's just I've conditioned that myself now as well too kind of behaviorally um, that that when I start to hear that I immediately you know probably by, you know sort of feel better and feel like my blood pressure's, you know, probably gone down a a few uh, points as well, too. But um, I've also done what's called progressive muscle relaxation, which isn't probably necessarily meditation. um, But, you know, it can be certainly uh, used that way. I found that very helpful. Uh, And probably something I've been most consistently uh, incorporating, because you can kind of really do it anywhere you can do it. 30 seconds before getting up to the dais to give a talk. You can do it. I did it yesterday uh, before I had a meeting driving in my car um, Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, different kinds of breathing techniques. And there's like someone referred to a menu of breathing techniques, which I really liked because I thought, you know, well, sometimes you need the hardcore ones. You're really hungry and you need it. Sometimes you just need a little light snack of a little, you know, tweak and tune up. But the whole um, there's a a budding or already existing, but I think it's growing. Um, science around the whole physiology of how our um, bodies react when we've changed our breathing patterns, and I've also, um, with with a little bit of a, a jaundiced eye perhaps, um, you know, looked into the Wim Hof uh, breathing oh, yeah. styles and things like that. Yeah. And I, there's no way I, I get even close to anything like the stuff that that he <laughs> does, and I've I've never really taken the training. I've downloaded one of his manuals, but um, have, again, it's one of those things on my to do list, but. Um, I find that very, very helpful. So, um, and I know people, um, people that really find benefit from that, you know, there's meditation retreats, there's no talking meditation retreats, there's, you know, all these other kinds of things. So my, my best advice is, you know, when you find something that works, um, uh, you know, keep with it, um, don't expect that it will always work at the same strength all the time under all situations. Nothing does, you know, I, I, people take ibuprofen because aspirin doesn't work, you know, et cetera. So nothing is, is always kind of the magic, um, you know, silver bullet for, for every, uh, every ill. But I think that maybe the, the, the lesson from that is to, to, um, iterate, to pivot, to try something different, see if it works this time. If it doesn't, you know, keep, you know, keep looking and keep trying to find something and problem solve solve around it. But, um, I've probably the the episodic thing that I've done has been more like transcendental meditation, where there's a Mm -hmm. repetitive nonsense mantra kind of thing. And, and that I found very valuable, but I I still, you know, find my mind, you know, drifting off and and whatnot. So, so um, I'm a work in progress on that. So how about how about you? Do you have a practice? Or are you is this something you're interested in personally? Yeah, well,
0: funny, you, you, you bring up a couple of points. So I've never done the, the silent meditation, although I have a, a close friend of mine in Toronto who, who, ha, who has done that. Mm. Uh, and he really recommended it. I mean... Uh, I think for a lot of extroverts, that would probably seem like the scariest thing to ever do in life, but yeah. uh, like myself, you know, someone uh-huh. social and stuff, I'd want to like befriend everybody in this retreat. Uh, okay.
1: As a podcast host, that would be tough. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> like,
0: I don't know. I, I just need to put out a story. But uh, so he told, he, you know, obviously he he had really good things to say about that, kind of a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing Wim Hof's method in terms of cold showers recently. So mm-hmm. not necessarily mm-hmm. meditation. But mm-hmm. uh, for me personally, I think, uh, and, and what I've tried to do is is kind of embed breathing, to your point, in different ways. I had a, a friend of mine in Ottawa who's Indian. And one time his dad invited me over to his house at like 6 a.m. It was one of those like monk stories that you often mm-hmm. hear in movies. And <laughs> uh-huh. I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. You know, I'm, I'm going to, to a buddy who's like a first generation Indian and teaching me a method called Kapal uh, Kapalbati. And they're like different breathing techniques. And I was like intently listening and, and trying to do this. And so uh, I think I, what I really try to do is more apply the breathing techniques when I feel anxious. And to mm-hmm. your point, like let's say I have a big presentation. I think we all, we all you know, feel the, the tightness of breathing, right? You start basically not breathing anymore or that it's like shallow breaths. Right. And you start yeah. Like your stress start, starts building up. So I think that's super important. And the last thing I'll say on that is, is yoga. Like yoga has really helped me uh, breathe a bit more. And the yeah. reason is, like, you're doing all these tough exercises, you know, like a downward dog, for example, mm-hmm. and the instructor tells you to hold it for, like, five minutes and then tells you to breathe, and you're just looking like I'm about <laughs> to die in this in this you know, hot <laughs> sauna room. This is not yeah. – yeah. okay, right? so anyway, these are some things I do.
1: That's a good point because I, I, one of the things that's sort of been on my uh, ever-growing list and, and uh, needing to, to get to um, is to, um, in, insinuate more yoga into actually kind of my, my health routine, so to speak. Yeah. So I find, you know, as, as my miles increase on running or as, you know, I, I, you know, rotating some kind of set of, you know, lifting exercises or whatever, I just become so much more, um, tight and stiff. stiff. So, yeah. yeah. So, One of the things I've tried to do, because I I like to work out in the mornings, is then, like, what I've told myself, and I I will tell you how consistent or inconsistent (laughs) I've been with this, but um, is that, like, it? like, three evenings a week, um, again, with the days done, you know, I haven't had uh, dinner yet or anything, um, to do, I have, like, a a half-hour yoga um, from a... um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Tony Horton. He had like P90X and well, he's got a P90X yeah. three that's been out for a number of years now. So it's like a 30 minute, one of them is yoga and it's a 30 minute mm-hmm. yoga. That's uh You know, you can. The nice thing about their stuff is that you can kind of tweak it. So if there's certain exercises that you're you can rock at, you can do the hard one. And if there are certain things that you're still kind of you know a newbie and a beginner at, or just you know it's just hard for you for whatever reason, you can you know make an accommodation. You can use a yoga block, or you can you know do something different. And I found that is very helpful. So that's kind of my. My game plan is, um, you know, just to really kind of make that not not a substitute for a workout but an augmentation to, you know, if it's a running day, then that's one of the days that that evening I need to, you know, uh, really make sure I get that yoga
0: in. Yeah, it's super helpful. I mean, last thing I'll say on this to your point, especially if you're running, like let's say you're training for a marathon, I know for me I had a sort of inflamed IT band and and just kind of mm -hmm. integrating yoga or at least some progressive stretching in there really, really helps. Yeah. Uh, so, so definitely recommend it. I did want to ask. So, so I came across something really interesting in, in one of the things I was reading about you. And uh, it's basically titled like battling mediocrity, which I found really interesting. Uh, <laughs> and I, I kind of assumed why. And, and, and given your, your sort of personality and the things you love to do, it, it, you know, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense. But I kind of wanted to get your take. Like What, what do you define, first of all, as mediocrity? And what do you do personally to, to overcome that?
1: well again it's probably you know different variations and different different shades for different people but um i feel like just kind of same old same old just Kind of doing mm-hmm. the same thing, being in a rut. Um, you know, there's the old cliche joke of, uh, you know, the difference between mm-hmm. the only difference between a grave and a rut is the length and the depth. <laughs> so that's, so cool. that's kind of what I think is, is mediocrity. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, there's certain things that I am definitely mediocre on and will always be mediocre on because they don't really matter a whole lot to me. So um, so I think that's fine. I give myself the the pass on that. The you know that that's okay. But the stuff that's truly important, you know, for anybody, whatever that might be. I mean, it, it no matter what a person's, you know, whatever position or status or relationships or job or whatever, whatever it is, you want to look at someone, whatever lens you want to look at them through. That um, if it's something you care about, um, you know, then then you should really rock it, (laughs) you know, you should really, you know, and again, I I can't, I will always be a mediocre runner, you know, I will never (laughs) you know, win anything or or whatever, but, but I enjoy running, but, you know, so that's, that's fine. And I, I am, I am at peace with that, but uh, you know, when it comes to um, my career or when it comes to time with my family or when it comes to um, you know, certain kinds of things, You know, I feel like, you know, I uh, at some levels, you know, maybe like you want to be a craftsman with it, so to speak, like you Mm -hmm. really want to, um, you know, uh, like I I might spend an inordinate amount of time on a couple of paragraphs on some paper that I'm writing because I really want to have get the message across. I want it to be clear. I want it to be clever. I want it to be engaging, You know, and I want to have an economy of words. I don't want to be too wordy. I want it to be taught. So, um, you know, and it's for lots of folks, it's just, you know, really, you know, my my emails are not that way. I'm fine to have mediocre emails. But, you know, when it's stuff that's important to a person, whatever those things are, and they vary, again, probably from time to time and phase of life and circumstance, um, but that, you know, they're probably for all of us, there are things, you know, people might call it, you know, their passion or their passion project or, yeah. you know, whatever. And that's, you know, I I totally get that. And that that's fine. But I feel like um, that's almost kind of, you know, been overused somewhat. So my thinking of it is just that, you know, there's certain things that we want to be rock stars on that really we dig, we enjoy, we go into flow. Those are the places, um, you know, to, to battle your own personal mediocrity. And then if there's opportunities where there might be visibility for that, which is definitely an option, not a requirement, then maybe you can inspire other people around those same kinds of things. It may not be the task at hand, but it may be the process at hand, how you go about deconstructing something to then go do whatever it is that you, you, you love doing like a, like a Tim Ferris might, you know, yeah. deconstruct something. So, so that's kind of, that, that's my, my general point of, you know, what I, I think about that and trying to be championing, you know, people that, you know, hey, let's go, whatever your thing is, you know, rock your thing, make that, make that really exciting and, and, you know, we'll make it even more, you know, you'll, that, that person I suspect will feel even better about it themselves
0: yeah well, even like linking this back to mental health when we were talking about that like it's so important just to to actually set set a goal that somewhat makes you you know uncomfortable psychologically and and that you know when you when you look back on to your point talking about the process that's so enjoyable you know like running your first marathon might seem crazy even if it's just five kilometers, but you set that date four months out you know you do a couple of runs a week and you see yourself progressing and every run you feel better you're breathing better. You know you and you look in the mirror and you you just feel good, you look good you 're not you know uh, self conscious about taking off your shirt anymore like I think those small uh, tiny improvements and courses of action just lead to such tremendous results, I think psychologically, and that I think trickles in, in different parts of your life I mean what did you say
1: yeah i I totally agree and and i I really like you know how you said it because I think one of the other benefits to that process is that okay using your example spot on of you know like wanting to you know go run a marathon or a 5K or whatever you want to run, mm-hmm. that that process does a variety of things that process probably makes you focus on your eating a little differently than if you right. didn't have a race coming up. That process may get you out socially with some other folks with some other runners. So you've got some you know some friends to you know you're having a social time as well as a, an exercise time. Um, if you've told other people about it then you've you you know maybe inadvertently created an accountability group yeah, <laughs> that says, yeah. you know, hey George, how's that running going? You go, "Oh, uh-oh." You know? <laughs> Or I know they're going to ask me about that at work, so I better, you know, I better not, you know, slough off on Sunday because they're going to ask me, you know, to do my long run, you know, on Monday when I show up at work kind of a thing. So I have found that those kinds of things, and to your point, you know, feeling good about how you, you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, those are all, you know, there's, there's, you know, you probably sleep better. You probably drink less or, you you know, drink, don't drink at all or, you know, whatever, all these kinds of things kind of go part and parcel with what you might say in your head is, I have this one goal to run this race. Well, but then you have maybe 10 other things that you've tweaked in your life, those little, what might seem little, um, you know, all start to add up and they can add up negatively too, you know, in the opposite direction. Well, I'm going to sit on the couch. I'm going to binge on Netflix. I'm going to, you know, eat a cake. I'm going to not work out. I'm going to, you know, do whatever. So all those little things, well, what's, you know, what's the big deal if I, you know, and there's probably no big deal if you do it just, you know, every so often, but if you do it all the time, those little things all the time can add up to positive things if they're healthy or not so positive things if they're problematic. So, uh, that's why I, I really encourage people. I, I feel like there's a lot of things that, uh, people can do, um, you know, that they might be look, like by, uh, uh, outward appearance, like you're moving in one goal direction and it probably, and it is that it's not, it's not untrue. but, um, you then as the person doing whatever that is, um, start to see all these other kind of little interstitial benefits and things that you go, huh, I'm going to, I'm going to keep this up. This is, you know, eating this way is really great. I, or, Doing this, having this kind of exercise, you know, really helps me have a solid night's sleep, et cetera. These are kind of cool habits, nice side effects, if you will. And to your point about, you know, um, mental health and stuff, generally people, you know, exercise is one of the the key things that uh, people often prescribe in the behavioral health field because it's so beneficial and so in in these ways that you've just described, as well as, uh, emotionally and as well as cognitively. We think more clearly. We're more oxygenated. Um, for me, I, I, it's like a time for me. We've talked about meditation here, but um, not that I meditate when I run, but my mind gets kind of clear after about the first you know, half mile to mile. Um, and I take a little mini recorder. I don't run with a phone. I run with this little mini recorder because I find that by the second half of my run, there's like five things that I've thought about that I want to, you know, uh, add to my to-do list or some solution to a problem that I want to try out. Yeah. And I don't want to lose those by the time I get home. So I I come home and I'll joke with my mom. <laughs> She'll say, how was your run? I said, well, I have eight new things that I thought about <laughs> that I didn't think about before my run. So, um, you know, so like I a, just, again, m- mutual benefit from all these things. Sorry.
0: Yeah. No, no, I was just saying like that it's, it's almost like that runner's high higher or, or that mental clarity you get from running, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it's nice out. Like I went for a run on Sunday and it was, I think two degrees, and the first thing I did, it was sunny in Chicago, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to go run by the lake, and it was the first run I do outside, so I I was super (laughs) stoked about that. That's Uh, great, yeah. Why do you think psychologically people tend to lean more towards comfort? Like, say, for example, you set your alarm at 5 a.m., right? You want to join the 5 a.m. club, oh, yeah, January (laughs) 2nd, and you're pumped, man, I'm, I'm about to hit the gym. Mm-hmm. And, and 505 rolls by and you're like still hitting the snooze button you know <laughs> the, the mattress is super comfortable and you're yeah. just a cozy duck like why, why why, does that happen or when you come from work you know you're supposed to be doing your side hustle maybe it's mm-hmm. a podcast but oh man that couch looks so good
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: and, you know there's a new documentary on Netflix I mean, yeah, just, just yeah. an hour and then an hour becomes five hours like why does that happen
1: Right. well um you know, it's, it's like, um, discipline, um, sort of becomes this, this bad four letter word. Um, and, and it's, it's hard. Um, you know, there's, um, a a number of books out there, I think, is it Adam Grant that, you know, talks about like atomic habits or the power of habits and things like that. And, and I think, You know, it's kind of human nature. We tend to habituate and maybe we tend to regress to the mean, (laughs) you know, and and if something is more comfortable, then, you know, that that feels good. And what feels good is, um, you know, I don't mean to say addictive like like a substance is addictive, but in in the scale of things, it, it can be very similar. Mm-hmm. that we do what gives us pleasure um at some level most all folks have a certain you know hedonistic you know kind of proclivity there's certain things that we, you know like i i'm just lately maybe <laughs> i don't know if this is a good example of uh of of a, of a um uh a comfortable thing but i've just really been one of my things for for 2020 was to focus on spending more time in the sauna and yeah. uh i've kind of conditioned the first little bit of it it was like okay let's just get in there you know, think about other stuff, you know, you know, get your head someplace else. And within a relatively short period of, and I don't do it every day, but uh, within a relatively short period of time, I've been able to increase it because I'm geeky and wonky. I've got like this watch that measures my pulse and I, you know, track, you know, if I can get my pulse rate up and I, I screw around with breathing while I'm in the sauna to see what effect that has. And, you know, so I sort of create all these other kinds of distractions that are pleasurable for me and that I know move me towards a goal. And if uh, you know, and, and you also sometimes have to take a very sober thing and say, okay, I'm going to try this out. Okay, this is dumb, or this is not for me, or I hurt myself every try every time I try and do this. Maybe this isn't the time for me to keep you know trying you know to do parkour, running, or you know whatever thing it might be. So um, it it is so much easier the amount of effort to hit that snooze button at five o'clock when your bed's all warm and it's you know zero degrees outside or you know, or to turn the water, you know, from that nice warm shower to, you know, ice water for, you know, however long that you can stand it kind of a thing. So but I feel like for me, when I've had those circumstances, and I still, you know, I deal with that all the time um, when I have things that I haven't been able to kind of push through, um, then I, you know, I revert back to my cognitive uh, little checklist to say, OK, why, you know, <laughs> why am I doing this? here's four good reasons. Okay. Are those legit reasons or those baloney reasons? They're legit. Okay. Well then, you know, I need to kind of push through it and then it becomes a, you know, an odds kind of thing or, or a numbers kind of thing to say, okay, maybe I have a cheat day. Maybe there's one day where I can sleep okay. in, you know, and that's okay. And I allow myself that, and I don't beat myself up. And that sometimes has this paradoxical effect that I know if I can have that one, like, okay, Chris, you can sleep in not on Thursday, but on Saturday. And on Saturday, you can sleep in an hour and a half, not just, you know, 10 minutes. So let's, you know, let's bank that, you know, sleep in thing. And that can help bolster, you know, my own uh, self-discipline around the, that as an example or, or those kinds of things for us. So I think to get back to your, your, your kernel of the question for this is that, um, you know, what, defining for ourselves uh, what is important and then structuring um, ways to go about doing that can be then the way that we have to have that very tough talk with ourselves to say, you know, yes, get out, get out on the road, put on your shoes, you know, go get your miles in. Um, you know, if you've got a race coming up, you can't, you know, hit the snooze alarm for your training. Otherwise you're really going to be mad at yourself because you're going to suffer through a a race that you don't have to suffer through, but you've got you know, slack on your, uh, consistency with your training kind of a thing. So, and some kind of, you know, people have temptations in their relationships to do dumb things. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you just need to kind of have that, uh, you know, like the, the again, um, the, the old joke of like, you know, the little devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other, you know, telling you to do the right thing or to not do the right thing. So you just really sometimes have to to, um, you know, think back about that and think about your end goal, your end game. And will will I'm at this fork in the road. If I choose this, will it get me closer towards what I want to be or will it set me back or will it keep me at neutral? Um, is this a big deal or a little deal? Can I use it as part of my you know, my cheat day? I can have a pizza today, but no, I can't have a pizza every day. Those kinds of things.
0: Yeah. And it also feels so much better when you actually deserve a reward. You know, like I've been doing intermittent fasting as of late and I fast sixteen hours. I'm actually gonna eat right after the podcast. So uh-huh. thank you for keeping me a little bit distracted. <laughs> okay uh, in a very <laughs> well, good way.
1: <laughs> same thing, man. I, I haven't eaten yet today either. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
0: we're we're partners in crime here. That's Chris. right.
1: We'll hold yeah. each other accountable. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and it feels so good like when you when you have that first meal and I've been using an app called Zero. I don't know if you ever use that, but mm, uh, it's a great app it. yeah, it's a great app to track your fasting. Um and, and just to your point, I just feel like when you actually deserve a cheat day, like let's say Saturday, you know, it's your day where you can have a donut, let's say, mm-hmm. or, or you, can, you can binge watch a series. You don't mm-hmm. feel as bad about it, like mentally, whereas right. if you do it for five days during the week and you just know that it's bad, you, it, it's almost progressive. And like it makes you feel even worse every yeah. single day. Yeah. Uh, and, and your point, I love the, the checklist thing because uh, I listen to Jocko Willenick's podcast a lot and he mm-hmm. says, discipline equals freedom. And, and that's what yeah. we love, you know. And it, yeah. it, it sucks, you know. A, a lot of things we don't like to do. It's not that I enjoy going to the gym or you enjoy running a marathon or training for one, uh, for that matter. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's sometimes doing these things actually creates much more of of a of a freedom than you than you realize. Yeah. I wanted to ask. So so on this point, I know you mentioned Adam Grant. Funny, I was actually listening to him this morning. Uh, he talks about procrastination a lot in a in a weirdly positive way, right? Like he, <laughs> he brings up like anecdotal. Things like um, you know Da Vinci <laughs> used to procrastinate a shit on. Like it took him 16 years to to work on a on a project. Uh, yeah. So is c- could that be a good thing for people who, in in a creative lens? Yeah, uh,
1: you you are asking um, a very biased person about that. <laughs> so you know, I, I joke that I'm you know very um, obsessive compulsive and perfectionistic about things and. Mm. And, and, and again, everything's all kind of probable, you know, uh, uh, probabilistic. It's sort of like 90% of the time, or, you know, whatever. Um, there's a, uh, you might have heard of this too, or your listeners might have like the old joke about the writer and the white shoe and this sort of like the this no, person haven't. who, well, there, there's this, this, this proverbial. Writer and they're you know kind of you know sitting there in front of their keyboard or their typewriter or their pad of paper, and they're just sitting there not getting anything down, and they look over and they see their shoes there which happen to be white and there's a spot. On one of the shoes, so they then spend like the next two hours, you know, delicately, craftsman-like, getting that spot off their shoe, as opposed to sitting down and writing whatever their goal was to to be able to produce that day. And for me, I think it goes back to. I mean, I, I have struggled throughout my life um, with anxiety, and for me, I think there might be certain tasks. That are probably more external kinds of deliverables. You know, I need to review something on a, for a startup or I need to get something done for a class I'm teaching. Or I have, you know, there's some other, there's some external kind of something and there's probably a deadline to it. And it's very important, like, you know, like very important, capital V, very. And yeah. um, I know I've got to get it done, but maybe I just don't feel like my head is in that smart spot that I need to be able to answer these questions or that I still need to do some other research before I can help this, these guys with their pitch deck and doing that research is going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And, and I've got, it's going to be a three hour job and I've got, only a gap of 45 minutes before my next meeting or whatever. So in that sense, because I want to do a good job, it probably disproportionately becomes even a bigger deal than the big deal that it already was. And I get nervous about it. So I, I I never just sit and do nothing. I, I, Probably, you know, I, I'd clean my shoe, but it wouldn't take me two hours. But um, I tried to then say, okay, Chris, you got all these other things that you got to do. Look at this. Like, I'm I literally, have a paper to do list that I, you know, tweak all the time. And it's like, okay, well, here's four other things that you could probably get done. They're not, you know, this is going to like fly in the face of all the, you know, is it urgent? Is it important? You know, whatever that matrix was, you know, of, of getting of productivity. And it's like, well, these things aren't urgent and they're not important, super important. But I could probably get them done in this 45-minute gap that I have done. And then my to-do list will feel less full. I will feel like I got something, four things accomplished. There are four things that they're important enough for me to write down to put onto a to-do list. So they do have some, you know, valence and importance. Um, It doesn't get me, in some sense, I guess it does actually. It gets me closer to that bigger goal that I need to carve out the larger amount of time for. But it doesn't make me feel bad about myself. It doesn't make me feel like I've wasted 45 minutes of my day. And it, if anything, it, it has kind of cleared the deck where I can then really sit down and spend the deep work kind of time that I need to spend on whatever the, the larger project is. So and I guess that has overlap with our earlier points about discipline and things like that. So, um, <clears throat> So I think those kinds of things... Um, or kind of my take, my my bit of a spin on <clears throat> trying to have what I call productive procrastination, which sounds like a wonderful oxymoron, but you know it's it's not. I, I'm not so drawn to the siren song of uh, you know flipping on you know Netflix or hopping on YouTube or something like that for whatever reasons. I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoy my documentary and docu series and binging just as much as the next person, but those aren't when I'm sitting at my desk or wherever in an airport or whatever. Those aren't my go-to things. My go-to things tend to be looking at my email list. I kind of have a hierarchical organization of it. When certain things are clear, then I finally get down to the to the big area that isn't clear. And then, you know, it's sort of like, okay, you got X amount of minutes. How many minutes do you need to clear out, you know, two emails that are going to be maybe a little complicated to answer uh, or you need to put some research or thought into. And and that that. Probably honestly has been something that's evolved over the last year and a half or two and it tends to work for me so again the weakness of advice is that that one size fits few but um, you know I think the the point is is to see what in your own psychology of getting things done in your own productivity weaknesses and strengths can you adapt yourself to you know getting done what needs to get done when it needs to get done in a nice quality way to not to to battle mediocrity to not be mediocre in getting it done um and that's those are you know that's that's the the hero's journey so to speak with with getting stuff done for all of us
0: yeah and i think it's even more important because as, as i look at your profile and you mentioned this just now you know you're you're an advisor to a lot of startups you, you invest in a couple of them as an angel investor you're also a humanitarian you know doing a lot of projects uh, internationally you have the psychology work and a bunch of things i mean you've published 38 books that's a lot of stuff and i think <laughs> i think if you you know if you look across uh, the spectrum some might look at the profile and say well you know you're you're more of a of a, of a generalist and i'm kind of i'm wondering kind of your take cuz it's always a battlefield and i've always had this mm-hmm. challenge within myself you know like should i be really really good at this specific thing or should i be more of a generalist which i think i am mm-hmm. um And to that point, how do you – because I think you answered the first part, you know, how do you overcome mediocrity? But then as a generalist, how do you become really good at doing several things that sometimes don't necessarily overlap?
1: Yeah. Well, thank thank you for saying that. I'm not so sure that that's as accurate as I would like it to be, but thank you. (laughs) Um, It it reminds me – your question reminds me of – Uh, A a show I heard with uh, Scott Williams, who um, is famous for doing his Dilbert cartoon, you know, which is a, -hmm. a, a, you know, sort of a great treatise on, uh, you know, corporate uh, corporations, I guess, worldwide. I was going to say North American, but everywhere, really. Um, And he talks about sort of identifying being identified like everybody can be. Pardon me. Not everybody can be the world's best writer or novelist or mathematician or physicist or house painter or chef or, you know, pick, pick anything. Um, A few people can. And those few people probably have, you know, um, in their areas, you know, greater passion than the general public, probably greater innate skill than the general public, et cetera, et cetera. So what Scott Adams advises is, is that if you can take maybe two or three, different areas um, that maybe don't necessarily always uh, overlap or neatly connect with one another, then oftentimes you can have a, you know, whatever, a, a profession or a career or your job, create your job or be an entrepreneur <clears throat> into those areas where those overlaps are. So for me personally, um, I very much started off, once I, you know, got into graduate school, the psychology was it. I mean, I lived it, breathed it, you know, I had you know, my teaching assistantships were in psychology. My I worked full-time and part-time in psychiatric hospitals to make money to pay for tuition. I you know, every single thing I did was very like most all of all my hobbies you know would be reading psychology journals, you know, sort of a thing. I mean, everything was just really 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 tweaked. Uh, to focus on that because that was the most important thing. I had, you know, student loans I needed to pay off once I got out. I needed to, you know, get a, you know, good job or two or three or four when I got out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, once I felt like I had some kind of a, in a sense, a, a base of that established, then the other interests uh, naturally, organically, started to kind of make themselves known. And I think I was lucky because choosing the profession of psychology. There are so many different parts and components. Like I mentioned, you know, 50-some-odd credits as an undergrad. That's because there's comparative psychology and social psychology and industrial organizational psychology and clinical psychology and psychopathology and blah, 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 blah. So in being exposed to all those in different kinds of ways, it was sort of like a sampling, an opportunity for me to sample things. And I could start to see other areas that – Um, I I became much less interested in having a clinical practice after having been in clinical practice for 10 years. Um, That coincided with probably a causal aspect of uh, my wife and I had our first child. So uh, being a child and family psychologist, I only could see children and families in the evenings when the kids aren't in school and the parents aren't at work and on weekends. Well, my choice was, do I see those people and their children or do you see my people and my children? So so, um, I became much like became zero of a practicing clinical psychologist. I kept my license up because of other things that I was doing, but I was no longer in private practice. I closed that down and then focused on other kinds of things. Those other kinds of things, working in medical schools, gave me exposure to global health and to psychiatry and to other branches and flavors of medicine. So that also then pulled me more into the public health side of things. At University of Illinois at Chicago, a lot of the faculty that, that are part of the Center for Global Health uh, come from a variety of different other kinds of areas. They come from nursing, they come from emergency medicine, and maybe most specifically uh, public health. A lot of them are MD MPHs. Well, to me, psychology and public health are hugely uh, uh, interconnected and interrelated. So so I guess with, with that long and windy answer to your, your very specific question to, to maybe summarize it is that Um, I think people need to have a focus and a direction just like going for the run Um, in that process of going in that direction to be open enough to say, hmm, maybe this really isn't for me or to say, yes, this is. But look, look at all these other kinds of things. Maybe I'll take a a little scenic route and a little detour over here for a few years and I'll work in this other kind of area or maybe um, that working in that other kind of area will be additive for then coming back full force into my one specific kind of career, let's use career as an example, a career path and and direction. Um, Having these other kinds of skills, maybe to make this up, like maybe you know, I'll take a a, a coding course on a MOOC and then bring that into my clinical research side of things so that I can do more sophisticated analyses of my data. So I'm not going to become a computer scientist. I'm not going to become a data scientist. I'm not going to become a a subspecialty statistician, but I'm going to learn enough of those tools to augment and be additive to my day in day out work that that's important to me. So, and then maybe I learn that and then I, I let that go. I stop looking at it you know, sort of a thing. So I think people, my bias is that, you know, it's help most helpful, but again, every, we all differ um, to, to have a focus, to have a direction. So you're not just, you know, a, a rudderless, you know, boat with a lot of wind in its sails kind of going you know every which direction and sometimes backwards but to be able to have a direction that you think is good for you today for me to shift from being a math major to being actually in between I was an architecture major and then to psychology as a major uh, but to have direction in those areas to to learn with whatever you're doing in a non-mediocre kind of way in that process and then to be able to take all those things you know I, I feel like Today in my position as a, as a faculty member in an international psychology uh, PhD program, that I can bring my NGO experience, I can bring my global health experience, I can bring my clinical psychology experience, my treating patients experience, my working with families experience my um going on medical missions experience my humanitarian work with my nonprofit all those different kinds of things which you could you know kind of compartmentalize as separate um you know from psychology in some way shape or form but to me i prefer to have sort of that that combination of them and that mix of them sometimes some come more for, to the forefront sometimes they go further to the background but all of those things together, I feel, have made a, a much better, made me a much better um, uh, psychologist, a much better faculty member, a much better person, a much better friend, a much uh, you know, more helpful to startups, um, maybe more successful in uh, the nonprofit that I founded. All those kinds of things. You can't just, you know, sort of, you know, just be be one shade. You need to be a, you know, a, a variety of different kinds of of uh, skill sets that can come and
0: go i love that i love that well i think there's there's so much really really concrete advice in in that in that statement and just one thing i'll add there is is funny uh if you ever look at the the ceo of goldman sachs david solomon he's actually a part-time dj right so yes. I like, <laughs> Yeah. i would never imagine like yeah who would have thought for, <laughs> you know his, his dj name is dj d soul so <laughs> <laughs> from the CEOs of the largest investment bank in America, that that was a crazy one. But that's, also kind yeah. of encouraging, right? Like if he can do it, why the hell can I? Like I'm not, you know. He has a yeah. much more scrutiny on on him as a lens and much more regulations. Um, so, so yeah, it's just a
1: yeah. I think I it, mean unless it's somebody quite has
0: see that. Um,
1: yeah. I, yeah. It, it, unless somebody has something that's like going to get him in trouble, you know. Like people do have bad habits and bad hobbies. But I mean otherwise. You know, those kinds of things can be very additive and even back to our initial part of this conversation of um, being helpful, you know, with a person's uh, stress relief and mental health. You know, I mean, there's no way that that guy is depressed when he's spinning. (laughs) You know,
0: there's there's
1: no way that the stress of his day. Is bogging him down, you know, when he's in, you know, in front of an audience. So, you know, those yeah. the that's a very health healthy and probably very creative outlet. So, you know, more power to him, and it's it's also just darn cool.
0: If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community, and if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And I'll see you next time.